Would you pray with me? God, that is just an amazing promise that we've sung and reminded ourselves of in this moment of worship. That no matter how far we wander, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what guilt or shame that we feel, we have never gone so far that your grace, your forgiveness, your love can't reach us. So help us, God, just to set all that aside, to give it to you this morning and embrace your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So this morning, uh, first, before I say anything else, it's great to just have Eric back with us this morning. Uh, For those of you who are new around Westridge, Eric uh, started here as a volunteer on our worship team uh, when he was like 12, Um, uh, grew up here, and uh, is now the worship director, leader, pastor uh, at a church in Springfield, and it's great to see him when he comes back, and it's always a surprise. I walked in this morning, oh my gosh, so just glad he's here this morning. We're going to wrap up our series uh, this morning on the shocking statements of Jesus. And we're going to look at a passage that comes right out of a very familiar uh, message that Jesus gave. We've dubbed it the Sermon on the Mount. If you look up in your Bibles in Matthew, starting Matthew 5, that's what it's called. And though we know the majority of this message and sections of it have been taught on a lot, the shocking statement of Jesus we're going to look at this morning, I think, could probably be adequately and accurately characterized as one of the most ignored teachings of Jesus. And what he teaches on in the Sermon on the Mount is a lot about our interpersonal relationships, how we're supposed to treat each other. And if we're in relationships for any length of time, we just know that they're not going to go as planned for the duration, right? I mean, there's going to be problems. We're going to be mistreated. We're going to be treated badly. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be insulted. And so Jesus also, in that series of conversations that he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses the idea of how we're supposed to be responding to people who treat us badly in relationships. And as I've said throughout the series, Jesus came to to teach us how to live differently in our lives. And so he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Not only does that seem illogical, it also seems impractical. And if I think about some people in my life who've hurt me, I think it's impossible. Jesus says, though, if you want to follow me, that's what you got to do. You got to love your enemies. And if I'm honest, that's going to be tough. He says our relationships have to be different. We have to do more than everybody else is doing if we want to follow him. We can't allow ourselves to let relationships degenerate into popularity contests where some people are in and some people are out and we just carve people right out of our lives. We're all in this together, Jesus says. 
And so just even reading the start of what he's teaching about here tells me that if we're going to follow Jesus, we got some growing to do. We have some changes we have to make in how we love people, all people, especially those that we don't like a whole lot. So let's just get right into the thick of it, right? About loving our enemies? I ask you the tough questions. How much do you love the members of ISIS? Whoa. I got this little wave that just kind of rolled from my left to right. How much do you love the people or the person who last shot up a movie theater? Or the last person who found his way into a school? and shot up a school. I think it's the quietest I've ever heard this building. Now that question may seem absurd, and maybe it is, but that's what makes Jesus' statement about loving our enemies so shocking. We're not just talking about loving the inconsistent jerks that pop up in our lives, right? We're not talking about loving the guy who steals your lunch in the refrigerator at work even though you have your name clearly written on the Tupperware container. We're not talking about loving the lady that cuts you off on 90 on Friday morning and then when you tapped your horn just to let her know you were there, she flipped you off. Okay, That's not the people we're talking about loving, though if she does it again Monday and Tuesday, you may have a legitimate claim. Jesus' audience clearly understood who he was talking about. When he said, love your enemies. They lived under an oppressive, occupying Roman government that employed soldiers who tortured and murdered to keep people in line. And this area of Palestine was one of the areas where they had to do that freely. Because this was quite an area of rabble-rousers. And so when Jesus said, love your enemy, everybody in that audience had plenty of opportunity every day to hate they're Roman enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because what does he do? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, really, if you only love those who love you, What kind of a reward are you going to get for that? Aren't even the tax collectors... I selected this just for that. I mean, you know, you got to file your taxes tomorrow, right? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than other people in this world? Don't even pagans do that? Even people who don't follow me love people that are just like them. But be perfect. Therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. This has been a troubling passage of Scripture for Christians all through the centuries. John Calvin, a theologian, writes that during his day in the mid-1500s, that a lot of religious leaders had just kind of decided this command wasn't meant to be followed by anybody other than the most devout, the most serious, the most advanced Christians, like the monks that lived away in monasteries with a small group of very advanced 
mature believers. They were the only ones that could be expected to follow this. In fact, Calvin himself said, loving your enemy is too difficult for the average Christian to obey. Jesus, the the religious leaders of Jesus' day must have obviously felt the same way because what they said was, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. People had heard that statement all their lives, but there's a problem with it. See, the first part of that statement actually was something God had said in Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. It was God's voice, God's command that said, love your neighbor. But the second half, love your enemies, wasn't something, or hate your enemies, that wasn't something God said. The second part was added later by the religious teachers. See, they studied that text from Leviticus. And they began to dig into it and started asking some questions like, who really is my neighbor? And it wasn't so much a studying to try to understand what God meant as it was a studying to try to limit their liability. Because loving your neighbor can get expensive, right? It's the same question that lingered on into Jesus' day when the man came to Jesus in front of a crowd and said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate who was his neighbor. For the religious leaders, they came to this conclusion. They said, you know, we're only going to love people who are like us, people who love God, people who follow God. That's all this is asking us to do. Anybody who doesn't follow God, they're an enemy of God. And so we can hate them. And they basically said, we found a loophole. So we can freely love and freely hate with God's approval. And so they began to teach that. And that's why Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It it became a dogma that was taught. And it was so commonly accepted that it actually found its way into some scrolls. It was... You've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Darren talked about those in the message a few weeks ago. And alongside the scriptures that were preserved in those Dead Sea Scrolls were other scrolls that contained something that was later called the Rule of Community. It was kind of like your neighborhood association rules. So they developed this Rule of Community that was used whenever a new village or a new town was formed. And it was written in that rule of community that had been preserved for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. But we'd like to deny it. I think you and I have the same tendency in our lives. We tend to break the world around us into groups. In our neighborhood in our workplace, in our families. And we even have some other enemies that head a little closer to home. We have people who've hurt and betrayed us. People that we've given our life to and they've walked out on us. People we've trusted and they've stabbed us in the back. Could be a roommate, could be A mom, a dad, a sibling. Could be a very good friend. So you got anybody you're thinking about right now? 
picture their face right in front of you? Anybody in your mind that you think if I could just erase their memory, I'd be way better off? Anybody honest enough to admit that if you could just erase them, (laughs) you'd be better off? And I think in truth, we sometimes cry out to God and say, you know what they did to me. You know how badly they hurt me. Surely, God, you are on my side on this one. (laughs) One of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, said, you know you've made God in your own image when he conveniently hates all the same people you do. Jesus, I think Jesus is saying here, look, I know, I know, I know that there are people who hurt you. They took advantage of you. I know that it makes sense for you to want to retaliate, to get even, to not love them. I know you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I'm going to tell you something different. Don't live by what you've heard. Love your enemies. Some hard stuff. And some of us here do feel like that's an advanced course. We're just on the basics. We're just trying to learn to pray. We're trying to learn to read our Bible. I mean, there's everything we could do to get out of bed and come to church this morning. Truth be told, we parked on the east side of the church lot and we're trying to get around to the west side and get out of here without flipping somebody off ourselves this morning, right? We're just on the basics. And that whole idea of loving my enemies, what does that even look like, feel like? I think Jesus gives us some very simple ideas here. He says you can start by praying for your enemies. Some trans take that phrase, pray for those who persecute you, and say, pray for those who mistreat you. And they make it a little easier to think about. It's a great beginning point. Before we even get to the place where we can say we love them, we just pray for them. Now, those first prayers can be really honest. I mean, I don't immediately pray great, magnificent prayers for people that I would consider an enemy, starts off simple. God, help them. God, maybe help them to meet Jesus. <laughs> maybe they could meet Jesus face to face. Maybe today. <laughs> it's an honest prayer. See, now some of you are laughing because you could pray that prayer. But over time, the prayers soften. And they really are honest. God, I don't like I'm honest, I hate Steve. I hate what he's done to me. I hate what he's done to my family. Help me not to hate him. It's an honest prayer. Over time, heart changes. God, if he's done this to me, I wonder what he's done to his family. God, help his family. Protect his family. Over time, God, help him to change. Regardless of what happens in my relationship with him, help him to change. Why in the world does Jesus ask us to pray for our enemies? I mean, 
wouldn't it be enough if Jesus said you can just be like Switzerland? You know, just be neutral in this thing? Can't I just love them by not hating them? Can't I just love them by not talking badly about them? Why do I have to pray? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, said, Praying for your enemies is the supreme demand of Scripture. It may be, short of giving your life to Jesus in the first place, it may be the toughest thing that Jesus asks us to do. But it's worth it. Because of the way that it fundamentally changes our hearts. I have this love-hate relationship with what I'm about to say. When we pray for people, it opens our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it over and over again in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. When we pray, God softens our hearts. It is really tough to stay mad at somebody that you're praying for. I've tried. You can't do both. And it doesn't mean that as your heart softens that you're going to become best friends with them again. It doesn't mean that you're going to add them to your Christmas list. It doesn't mean that you're going to excuse their behavior. It does mean over time, though, that you're probably going to forgive them. Because God's going to soften your heart and you're going to begin to understand all the things God's forgiven you for. It just means over time that as God softens your heart, you'll start to let go of the anger and any bitterness you've built up. Over time, as you pray for them, you'll begin to understand that Jesus sees them just like he sees you. Somebody who's made mistakes. Somebody who needs forgiveness. I think that change in our hearts is really what Jesus is after in this whole passage. And when our heart changes, Jesus says, that's when we begin to look like children of our Father in heaven. Jesus said when God looks down from heaven and he sees us doing these things, behaving counterculturally, loving and praying for our enemies, God looks down and says, this is how my kids ought to behave. <laughs> Showing kindness where it's undeserved. Showing patience when it's running thin. Extending grace. Jesus says that's when we most look like our Father. Now, Jesus has just one more shocking statement that I can't ignore before we leave this passage. He says, so just be perfect. Like your Father in heaven's perfect. Like it's simple, right? Perfect there doesn't mean perfect like we normally think of. He's not saying that we have to do everything correctly right down to the letter. Jesus knows us better than that. The word perfect there is a Greek word that means complete, mature. Jesus is saying, just be mature in how you love people. Even the ones who are tough to love. Love like your father loves you. 
How's that? Well, Romans puts it this way. Our friendship with, with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Mm. So all God is really asking us to do is love others the way that he loved us. The kind of love is risky. It calls for vulnerability on our part. It's a love without conditions, without limitations. A love without any thought for what we might get in return. A kind of love that's really rare in this world. But Jesus calls us to do something more, something different than the rest of the world is doing, if we really want to follow him. He asks us to allow the grace of God to crack our hearts wide open so that we love others, even our enemies, the way that Jesus loves us.